You're listening to the Hope Assembly podcast with Pastor Ryan Day. For more information, you can visit us online at hopeassembly.org. Please enjoy this week's sermon. Uh, today we are going to we're going to continue our series Pentecost. We're on part two. Last week we asked the question, "Who is the Holy Spirit?" And we 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 worked hard uh, to try to explain the unexplainable, if you will. What is the Trinity, and and how does God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit all work together for the sake of humanity and the sake of our world? And um, if you didn't listen to that, I encourage you to go back and listen to that as we're going to move forward into part two of Pentecost. We're not really talking so much about the festival of Pentecost, but rather what happened on the Pentecost that is recorded in Acts chapter two, where the disciples were gathered in the upper room and the Holy Spirit came down upon them and what that means for us today as believers. Now, before we get into part two on the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, uh, I want to read this quick story to you that I think is uh, a a good and relevant story for what we're going to share today. I heard this before and I took did some research and found it. And so let me share with you about a man's transatlantic journey. It says this, years ago, before transatlantic flight was common, a man wanted to travel to the United States from Europe. The man worked hard, saved every extra penny he could, and finally had just enough money to purchase a ticket aboard a cruise ship. The trip at that time required about two or three weeks to cross the ocean. He went out and bought a suitcase and filled it full of cheese and crackers because that's all he could afford. Once on board, all the other passengers went to the large, ornate dining room to eat their gourmet meals. Meanwhile, the poor man would go over in the corner and eat his cheese and crackers. This went on day after day. He could smell the delicious food being served in the dining room. He heard the other passengers speak of it in glowing terms as they rubbed their bellies and complained about how full they were and how they would have to go on a diet after this trip. The poor traveler wanted to join the other guests in the dining room, but he had no extra money. Sometimes he'd lie awake at night dreaming of the sumptuous meals the other guests had described. Toward the end of the trip, another man came up to him and said, Sir, I can't help but notice that you're always over there eating those cheese and crackers at mealtimes. Why don't you come into the banquet hall and eat with us? The traveler's face flushed with embarrassment. Well, to tell you the truth, I had only enough money to buy the ticket. I don't have any extra money to purchase fancy meals. The other passenger raised his eyebrows in surprise. He shook his head and said, Sir, don't you realize the meals are included in the price of the ticket? Your meals have already been paid for. Now, this is something that I think about is relevant in regards to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives and how the Holy Spirit works in us. I don't know about you, but there's been many times I've been caught off guard by maybe a package deal that I purchased that didn't realize all of the benefits of that package. Uh, recently in some traveling that I've done, I've been upgraded beyond my normal uh, seating where all of the people with not much money sit and moving up into the different classes, business class, first class, they come with benefits I didn't even know were available on a plane. 
I think sometimes this is the way it is with the Holy Spirit. We don't realize often what's available to us by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Last week, we talked about who is the Holy Spirit. We asked the question, who is the Holy Spirit? It was the third person of the Trinity, fully God. Today, we're going to talk about why is it to our advantage for Jesus to send the Holy Spirit to us? A.W. Tozer said this, the spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people. And I think too often we don't get that. We don't catch that. That the spirit-filled life is not a special life in Christianity. Just like this gentleman on this cruise, this transatlantic cruise, thought that the banquet meals were something special for, for rich people, for other people, that he couldn't partake in those things. And he was dead wrong because they were included in the price of the ticket. The Holy Spirit indwelling in us is included in this Christian life for every single believer of Christ. Now let's look at what Jesus promised. We read these scriptures before, John chapter 14, verses 16 through 17. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper helper to be with you forever. Keep that in mind, to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And will be in you. I do want you to notice real quick here that right at the beginning of this, there is the Trinitarian work. Notice the Trinitarian work. The, the Son is asking the Father to send the Holy Spirit. See the three of them? God the Son asking God the Father to send God the Holy Spirit to be with the, the disciples. The Trinitarian work is, is right here in John 14. And then John 16, verse 7 says, Nevertheless, Jesus again talking to his disciples, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So we want to ask and, and, and in some ways answer the question today, why is, it, why is it to our advantage for Jesus to go away and send the Holy Spirit to us? Why is it to our advantage for Jesus to go away and to send the Holy Spirit to us. Let me answer it and then we're going to talk about this answer. I would say it like this. The Holy Spirit dwelling within us is greater than Jesus dwelling among us. Why is it to our advantage that Jesus goes away and sends the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit dwelling in us is greater than Jesus dwelling among us. Let's take some time to talk about the scriptures, and in particular, the history of the Holy Spirit throughout the scriptures. So we get a better picture of what takes place or what Jesus was promising in John uh, chapter 14, John chapter 16, and then into Acts chapter 1 and 2. First of all, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. So the Holy Spirit and the Old Testament. Now, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is uh, transient, meaning that he is coming and going, that he is doing work in the Old Testament, but he is coming and going. The Holy Spirit was indeed at work in the Old Testament. We see in the very beginning that the Holy Spirit is co-laboring with God the Father and God the Son in all of creation. 
And throughout all of the Old Testament books, we see that the Holy Spirit is more of a transient a presence among God's people. That the Holy Spirit comes upon particular individuals temporarily for a specific season or a specific task. This is present throughout all of the Holy all, uh, throughout all of the Old Testament. How the Holy Spirit is working, that He is um, coming upon particular individuals, not everybody, particular individuals, temporarily, for a specific season or a specific. Task. Some examples of this, there are much more, but let me just throw a few at you briefly. I'm going to throw them at you. I would trust that you go and look them up. But like in the book of Judges, the Holy Spirit comes upon the Othniel, the judge. It says the Spirit of the Lord was upon him and they went to war uh, uh, against uh, a wicked and evil king of Mesopotamia. Uh, Samson, uh, we know that Samson, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he took a... a, a, a uh, jawbone of a donkey, and he slayed a thousand Philistines because the Spirit of the Lord came upon him to deliver uh, the people. Uh, in the book of Judges, Gideon, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Remember, Gideon is 300 men uh, came against uh, the the, the uh, armies that had come against them, and they were victorious with just 300 men. The Spirit of the Lord empowered him to lead these men into battle. Or we look in the book of Kings, and we see this over and over again, in particular, or perhaps most dominant is how the Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul, and the Spirit of the Lord left Saul, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David to be kings, to lead the people of God. So we see the Spirit of God is transient, that he's coming upon particular people for a specific season or a specific um, task um, temporarily. We, 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 in these accounts, have the Spirit coming upon and also departing from particular people of God. And though the Spirit was working in the Old Testament, the work and the presence of the Holy Spirit among the people of God was what we could probably say was incomplete. Um, it's probably the best term for it, that it was incomplete. What do we mean by that? Well, the Old Testament prophets kind of let us know that they had longed for, anticipated, and, and even prophesied for or to a day where there would be a greater filling of the Spirit, that they themselves even recognized that what was happening, the move of the Spirit, the temporary move of the Spirit upon them and their people was just that. It was transient. It was temporary, and they longed for a more permanent and a more full and fulfilled uh, filling of the Holy Spirit among them. For instance, Ezekiel said this in Ezekiel 36 verses 26 and 27. Ezekiel prophesying says, I, God speaking through Ezekiel to the children of Israel, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you and a new spirit I will put within you, excuse me, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. 
Ezekiel is saying, listen, there's going to come a time where something different happens. This heart of stone that we have will be removed and God will put in a moldable heart of flesh and the spirit of God will be dwelling within us. And by the spirit, we'll be able to walk in the statutes of the Lord. We'll be able to walk in the ways of the Lord because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The prophets were looking, anticipating, longing for this moment. Joel says this in Joel chapter 2, 28 through 29, very uh, uh, very well-known passage of scripture. And the New Testament quotes this scripture, 2, 28 and 29. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit, listen to this, on all flesh. Remember, the Old Testament, the prophets, it was on particular people for a particular season. Here, Joel is saying there's coming a time where God's saying, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And so Joel is saying there's coming a day where the spirit is going to come upon, that God's going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And notice that he equal he 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 levels the playing field, if you will. He's saying, look up on men and women, on slaves, on free. It doesn't matter who it is, God's going to pour out his spirit in equal measure upon all flesh. This is what Joel, Ezekiel, the prophets longed for. Why? Because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was transient. He would come temporarily upon particular individuals for a certain season or a certain task. Now, we move from the Old Testament and we break forth into the New Testament. The beginning of the New Testament are the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the Gospels are all about the life of Jesus Christ. And so we see the Holy Spirit and Jesus. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was transient. Here we break forth into the Gospels and the Holy Spirit is a companion, an ever-present companion, and even co-laborer with Jesus. As we move from the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit's work immediately. In particular, as a constant companion, as I said, and co-laborer with Jesus. And listen, he is with Jesus in this companionship and co-laboring without measure. Without measure. John 3.34 says, For he whom God has sent, speaking of Jesus, utters the words of God. Okay, For he, God, gives Jesus the Spirit, capital S, referring to the Holy Spirit, without measure. That God has given Jesus the Spirit without measure so that he can speak and declare the glory of God, the word of God. And think about the life of Jesus, how much the Spirit is at work in the life of Jesus. If we look at Mary and the Immaculate Conception, Mary's like, how can I, how can I birth the son of God if I have never known a man? I'm a virgin. This is impossible. And the angel of the Lord said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, will overshadow you. So we see the Holy Spirit involved in the Immaculate Conception, the seed of salvation being, being put in the womb of the virgin, for the sake of the salvation of all mankind, the Holy Spirit is involved. We see uh, the Holy Spirit involved as John the baptizer baptizes Jesus in the river Jordan. 
that when Jesus comes out of the water, what happens? The heavens open up. We talked about this. God, the Father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And God, the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus like a dove. Why? As a companion, a co-laborer with Jesus without measure. We see it as Jesus goes 40 days and 40 nights tempted in the desert. The Bible literally says that he was led by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil, by Satan for 40 days and 40 nights. And so the spiritual companion leading Jesus through the temptation in the desert. We see it in as Jesus is empowered for miracles. He gives credit to the Spirit of the Lord. The, the, the God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are working in the ways that Jesus teaches and the authority that he has in his teaching. It's a credit that the Spirit of God is working with him in the midst of these times. And Jesus who has the spirit as a companion without measure. And indeed, all of the disciples that he's gathered, the people that have come around, they recognize that Jesus has the spirit. Jesus promises the disciples that he will send them a helper. Paraclete is the Greek word, or parakletos is the Greek word. Another, he says, just like me, who will be a helper, an advocate, a comforter, one who will come alongside you, and again, the promise was, will be in you. We're going to talk more in the next few weeks about what it means for Jesus to send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit to be our parakletos, our advocate, our helper, our comforter, the characteristics of how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. But again, today we're talking specifically about why was it to our advantage for Jesus to go away and to send the Holy Spirit? Why? Because the Holy Spirit dwelling within us is greater than Jesus dwelling among us. And so Jesus promises the disciples this helper, this Holy Spirit. C.H. Virgin said, said it like this. He said, between Christ on earth and his disciples, what a distance there was. In his condescension, he came very near to them. But yet you always perceive a gulf between the wise master and the foolish disciples. Now the Holy Ghost annihilates that distance by dwelling in us. Spurgeon is saying, look, there was such a chasm between the master Jesus and the disciples that he had gathered, this ragtag bunch of disciples that he had gathered, such a chasm of understanding, such a chasm of power and of living. And the Holy Spirit comes and annihilates that chasm, brings us together in oneness with God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Spirit. And now we too can walk and live in that power. So let's talk about the Holy Spirit and the New Testament or the Holy Spirit in the church age from the day of Pentecost beyond. In the New Testament, in the church age, under the new covenant, the Holy Spirit now becomes a resident in us. In the Old Testament, he was transient. We come and go on particular people for a particular task or season. With Jesus, Jesus had him as a companion and co-laborer without measure. And as Jesus ascends to the Father, he says, I'm going to send the Spirit to you, and the Spirit will be a resident within you. 
The Holy Spirit was promised by Jesus and was given to us on the day of Pentecost. We've re read this text before. Let me quickly read it again. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, verse 8, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Quickly, here's how it goes. Jesus says this, and while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which Jesus had said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In, in verse 8, he says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And of course, we know the story goes that the disciples went to Jerusalem into the upper room to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 gives us the, the account of the Holy Spirit, the fulfillment of that promise. It says this, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This moment, Church, listen to me. This moment shifted the relationship between God and man forever. No longer was Jesus among us, but now the Holy Spirit was dwelling within us. The indwelling of the Spirit, the permanent residence of the Holy Spirit. Listen, never to be withdrawn from us. How powerful is this? Why is it to our advantage for Jesus to go away and send the Holy Spirit to us? Why did he tell them, I'm going to go away and I will ask the Father to send another helper just like me, the Holy Spirit, and he will be with you and he will be in you. Why? Because the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, within us, is greater than Jesus dwelling among us. John Calvin said it like this, the Holy Spirit is the bond by which Christ effectively unites us to himself. This is the only way that Christ was able to not only unite himself to his disciples forever, but also to all of the disciples that would come from the beginning of the church age and beyond until Christ comes again. The way that he unites himself to us is through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And I think that there are so many people, so many Christians that don't realize that this is part and parcel of the Christian life, to be spirit-filled. That when I make a decision to follow after Jesus, when I lay my life down and say, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. You are my master. I am a sinner. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again. I commit my life to you to follow after you. What happens is that the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us, we become the permanent residence of the Holy Spirit and the bond with Christ is made permanently in that moment. Now, briefly, let me give you a few sort of general advantages that we have as the Holy Spirit now dwells in us. Number one, the Holy Spirit empowers us. The Holy Spirit empowers us. We can't live this Christian life on our own. 
It's not by our own strength. It's not by our own power. We live this Christian life because the Holy Spirit empowers us to follow after Jesus. The promise was in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That word power is the word dunamis or dunamis, what some would say, D-U-N-A-M-I-S, D-U-N-A-M-I-S, dunamis. It means strength. It means uh, power or ability. It's where we get the words like dynamite, dynamo, or someone being dynamic. It's talking about this strength, power, and ability. Now, that's not coming from ourselves. It's the dunamis. We'll receive power when the Holy Spirit fills us. We receive the strength, the power, the ability to live this Christian life because the Holy Spirit is empowering us from within. Romans 8, 11, verse 8 says this, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Now that's, that's some serious power. The Spirit of God, I love that he throws in, in this part, that raised Jesus from the dead. If you want to know what kind of power it is, it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you and me and anyone who professes Christ as their Lord and Savior. The empowering of the Spirit, Ephesians 3.20, says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, exceedingly above all that we can ask or think, now listen, all that we can ask or think according to the power at work within us according to the dynamis, according to the Holy Spirit power that we are employing in our life. And I would venture to say that if we don't recognize that the Holy Spirit led, filled life is a part of all Christian life, then oftentimes we will fail to employ that power. We will fail to seek out wisdom from the Holy Spirit. We will fail to seek out comfort from the Holy Spirit. We will fail to seek out direction from the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit-driven or Spirit-led life is a life that recognizes that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit and that that power should be employed in our day-in and day-out living. The Holy Spirit empowers us. Another general advantage of the Holy Spirit in all of us is number two, the Holy Spirit is ever present in us. The Holy Spirit is ever present in us. The promise Jesus gave was that the Holy Spirit will be with you forever, right? Uh, chapter 14, John chapter 14, verse 16, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And the promise was also that he will be in you. In the second part of that, uh, verse 17, he says, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. This was the promise that he would be ever present in us. We have now become the dwelling place the tabernacle of the living God. We have now become the dwelling place, the tabernacle of the living God. The Holy Spirit is ever present in us. Oh, the wonder of a God that longs to dwell with, 
but within his people. That is something to ponder regularly, that the Holy Spirit is dwelling within us, that we have become the tabernacle. We have become the dwelling place of the living God. Everywhere that we go, we take the Spirit of God with us. Everywhere that we go, He is ever present within us. 1 Corinthians uh, 6 verses 19 and 20 says this, Do you not know that your body is the temple or the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit who's within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Paul writing to the Corinthian churches, trying to encourage them to remember that the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in every one of them. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence in us, that we no longer belong to ourselves. We are the temple, the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit, and therefore live our lives in such a way that we glorify God with our actions and activities with who we are. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is ever present in us, a living tabernacle. And then lastly, another general advantage, and I'm sure that you can hopefully think of more general advantages. I just want to give you a few to think about. But lastly, the Holy Spirit is how we experience God. The Holy Spirit is how we experience God. Now, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost was indeed an experience, if not anything else. Think about it for a moment. They're all waiting in the upper room. There's probably movement and prayer, uh, waiting, longing. And all of a sudden, there came this sound like a rushing, mighty wind. And what appeared like cloven tongues of fire that came and rested upon each and every one in the room. Think about the experience that they had with the Holy Spirit on this first moment of being filled with the Spirit. And then they all began to speak in other tongues, uh, glossolalia, as the, as the Greek would say, meaning that they spoke with a, uh, t- a known tongue, but not their own tongue, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Man, what an experience. Can you imagine? Imagine what it would have been like to have been there in that moment. The outpouring was indeed an experience. The first first church was radically formed by this experiential encounter with God. The question is, are we radically formed by an experiential encounter with God, the Holy Spirit? He's dwelling in you. He's dwelling in me if we've committed our lives to Christ. So are we being radically formed by experiencing the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives? There's an old saying that says, a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. When the disciples broke out onto the street, uh, they are speaking in other tongues as the Lord gave them utterance, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And people began to argue that they were drunk. 
But a man with uh, experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. Peter gets up and says, hey, we're not drunk as you would suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. We've been filled with the Spirit. And he begins to preach a sermon to them about the experience that they had, not only with being filled with the Spirit, but also the gospel story of Jesus Christ. And 3,000 people are saved in that day. Why? Because Peter, among the other 120, had a radical encounter, a radical experience with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is how we experience God. For the New Testament church, the Holy Spirit was a fact of experience. Too often today, the Holy Spirit is only a fact of doctrine. We know a lot about the Holy Spirit. We try to explain the Holy Spirit, yet we don't experience the Holy Spirit day in and day out. I want to encourage you. Begin to see the Holy Spirit as the third person of the Godhead. And begin to look, ask, seek for the Holy Spirit who is residing in you to empower you. To show you how he's ever present as you are the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. And to experience the leadership, the direction, the guidance, the comfort, the help of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised and sent to us. When you pray in the morning, when you read your scriptures, when you reflect upon the Lord, don't leave the Holy Spirit out. Don't act as if the Holy Spirit is not important. The Holy Spirit is the one that binds us to Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who is sent as the, as the down payment, as the seal of our salvation. Let us take time to experience the power, the movement of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enlightens God's word to us. The Holy Spirit quickens our spirit to the things that are going on around us. May we be people who are led by an experience with the Holy Spirit. People who know intimately the Holy Spirit, not just know about the Holy Spirit. First Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 4 says this, his divine power, what divine power? You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Listen, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Peter here is talking about these great and precious promises. What are these great and precious promises that we have? The salvation that we receive through Jesus Christ and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. That's where the power source is in our lives. The infilling of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we have this power and that power affords us to be partakers of the divine nature. How do we experience God? We partake of the divine nature of God through a relationship with the Holy Spirit, through a relationship with the Holy Spirit. You think about that man who saved all of his pennies to buy that one ticket to get on that boat to go across the Atlantic 
all the time, all the while he had available to him, he had access by reason of that ticket that he purchased to all of the delicacies, all of the feasts that everyone else was participating in. And yet he wasn't aware, there was no revelation that he could partake of those feasts. Too many Christians don't recognize that we can partake of the divine nature of God through the feast of the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit in us provides for us a way in which we can experience God, and we can experience the divine nature of God working in us. May we be Spirit-led people. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Jesus, that you didn't leave us, abandon us as orphans, the scripture says, but you sent another helper to come be with us, to walk among us, but also, more importantly, to dwell within us. Lord, help us to recognize the Spirit's work in our lives. Help us to lean upon the Spirit for leadership. Direct us and guide us. May we develop an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit who is ever-present empowering us, allowing for us to experience the full divine nature of the Godhead. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before you go, let me say this blessing over you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. It's our desire to lead people to know Christ and to make Him known. If you'd like to support the ministry of Hope Assembly, go to hopeassembly.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless.